Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had together. And let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of First John. And uh, we are continuing our study through First John and certainly excited about all of what God has been teaching us as we have made our way uh, all the way into the middle of First John chapter 4, and that's where we are going to find ourselves this morning. So I invite you, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can uh, look one up on your cell phone, you can Google it, uh, or you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. And uh, if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take that one home uh, with you. But as we come into this moment and we think about where we've been in First John, and we've talked about you know confidence in the Lord, we talked a couple of weeks ago about testing the spirits, we talked about living in the love of God even uh, last week, and as we're thinking about all these things, it's very helpful to pause for a minute and start to ask ourselves, well, are we sure about this, right? Or even thinking about your own faith of walking in the hope that's provided in Christ, are you sure? Do you find yourself in a place of assurance here today? We need to ask those questions. Because there's so many things pulling on us from every direction that we need assurance, and we need to see that God has provided the means for our assurance. He's not just throwing us out there with all of these things to know and believe and everything else and just to sort of waffle back and forth. No, He draws us close and draws us right into the wonder of being sure of Him. So grab your copy of God's Word and read with me in 1 John, starting in chapter 4, verse 13, and we'll read down through verse 16 and then work our way through that passage of Scripture. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 says this. He says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You have met us in this moment now. Father, we know that You are at work in ways that are far beyond us. We thank You for providentially guiding each and every one of us together here today. We thank You for the opportunity to worship You in prayer, worship You in song, worship You in all the opportunities we've had thus far. And Lord, we pray that You would capture our attention. Lord, that You would direct our hearts to You. And Father, that we would come away knowing that we abide in You. Father, we pray for those who are here who have never known you. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray for those who have walked in here who have been living in a a world of doubt. Father, we pray that today would be a day of assurance. Father, that all of us would come away knowing you. Father, help us as we walk together in your word and teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we jump right back into this passage of Scripture and thinking about where we've been and even thinking about how this connects into living in the love of God, He connects us right into this wonder of abiding in Him. He says in verse, beginning of verse 13, (coughs) excuse me, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. So the point is, we're meant to know things, right? It's not just that we just take these bits of knowledge and, and take them in, but not only are we meant to know things, but we're meant to know things intellectually that actually affects our lives in experience. 
one of those reasons, you know, it's, it's fun to acknowledge graduation and, and make your way through all of that, but I mean, we even readily admit it. It's like there's a lot in front of you. There's a lot of experiences that you have let to get to live. You got to take that calculus that you passed and turn around and start to use it now. And it's like, wait, what? I just got through that. I don't want to do that. We like to have this experience. We like to know by experience. That's why we go out of our way when we're looking things up, right? You'll, you'll read the Amazon reviews as you're, you know, looking at things on Amazon, and then you start to read it, and you're like, I don't think so because of the experience of certain people. The picture here is that we're not to live our faith vicariously through others. And see, it's so easy to do because we can just sort of grasp onto the stories of other people. We can talk and we can tell stories all day long about what God is doing on the mission field and in this place over here and in this place over here and what God is doing in the astounding ways over here. We're not meant to just look at other people's experiences and say, oh, that's great. You're meant to know yourself, the wonder of His love and the work that He's doing in you, that you are meant to know that you abide in the triune God if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You're meant to know for yourself. As he says it here, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. This joyful abiding, this present, ongoing reality that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but that saving faith and the work of his grace continues and endures. And you, you think about your own life. I mean, you're shaped by your closest relationships anyway, aren't you? It's amazing how, I mean, we can get so far on in years, and yet we will still talk about what we learned when we were walking around the house when we were six. We tell our kids and your grandkids all the stories of what you learned from your mom and your dad, and those close relationships at home shape the way we think about so many things. And amid all the changes of life, amid all the changing circumstances, we are to remain in Him. And by His grace, we do. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us. That we would enjoy it. That He saves us, sustains us, and never moves out. Through all the prodigal seasons that we lived, through all the times of ease when we ignored him, through all the times through where it was tears and we just didn't even know what to say, he's in us and that he's not done yet, that he's bearing fruit in our lives that has an enduring shelf life as he comforts and as he helps. It's not merely that he's just a call away. It's not like you just pick up the phone and call. No, he's in us if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Talk about an ever-present reality. That when we leave this place, we haven't left him behind in here. No, he's gone with us. Because if you know him, he's in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. Do you know? How would you? Well, look at the rest of the verse. Because he has given us of his spirit. We know because He is given, that God is given of Himself and He gives generously, and that God has given His best because He has given Himself. And you think of God giving Himself, and you think of even, you know, you read the Old Testament, God is revealing Himself and showing His character and revealing Himself to us in a, in a way that's pointing us to Jesus, and then we see the 
incarnation of Jesus Christ. We see him coming. You see the revelation of, of him and that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father and you see that on display in Jesus. And so in Christ we have a salvation and through faith in him we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not just that the giving ends at the cross and the resurrection that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. No, he keeps on giving that his spirit comes and moves in. It just keeps on getting better and better and better. He redeems us and rescues us and reconciles us. And He's given us of His Spirit. That at the moment of conversion, when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Spirit dwells within you. And we're not supposed to think about this in a way in which, you know, we're thinking about the, the gift of the Spirit in us, and we're thinking, whoa, that's great. This is a wonderful gift. What's it do? Maybe that's how you were whenever you got whatever you got for Mother's Day last week. I don't know. You look at it you're like, this is great. It was probably expensive. And they're like, what does it do? I'm going to put it over here and maybe we'll figure it out one day. That's how some of us sort of think about the Holy Spirit. It's not meant to be weird or anything like that. You think of who He is as the Holy Spirit. So when He comes and He abides and He is given in us and to us, that He would come with holiness. There would be some sense of moral distinction and separateness that is committed to the glory of God alone. You think of how the Holy Spirit's described in John 16 and convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment. You think of how He teaches and reproves and corrects, how He shapes our thoughts and desires. And then as we think of Him and all the ways in which He directs and guides our paths, is that your experience of the Spirit? Because dare I say, if your experience of the Spirit, that He just goes around and rubber stamps anything that you want to do, that's not the Holy Spirit. There's conviction and repentance that He's shaping us and correcting us and guiding us and bearing forth fruit in our lives, bringing us hope, bringing us encouragement that He Himself is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. God has given that we would know and that we would enjoy that we wouldn't just receive the gift and acknowledge the gift and then cram it in the closet and have nothing to do with it after that. That we would enjoy the gift of the Spirit of God and be amazed at what He works out in our lives. That He abides in us and that we abide in Him. That we remain and endure. And nothing and no one is ever going to change that. Verse 14, he says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, you think of the apostles, you think of the Apostle John, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, writing 1 John. You think of all of what was witnessed and seen, and, and in, in using the terms, thinking of seeing it and acknowledging and beholding the significance of it. I mean, you can just go back and read the Gospel of John. You can think of even John chapter 1 and thinking about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us and all of the wonder of that. And that to all who believe, He gave the right to become children of God, right? And that John was there and saw the storms being calmed. He saw the lepers being healed. He saw the thrown away people being called to be disciples of Christ. He was there at the baptism of Jesus. He was there at the transfiguration when Peter's trying to figure out what are we going to do because Elijah and Moses are here and I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, it's all, they all go away and they just behold Jesus. 
John was there at the crucifixion. You think of the words from the cross and even hearing it is finished. He was there at the empty tomb. He was there in the upper room twice, right? He was there the first time when Thomas wasn't there, and they're amazed by it. And then Thomas is just steadfast in his unbelief and doubt, and John was there when Jesus showed up again. He said, don't disbelieve, believe. You think of all he had seen and witnessed, even in the ascension of Christ. He had seen a lot. He's testifying both with his mouth and with his life, the word itself being the word from which we get the word martyr, that he's living to declare and display the significance of Jesus. What is this message? That the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Did you notice even before we unpack the rest of that verse that right there from the end of verse 13 down through verse 14, we have a clear indication of the Trinity and the saving work and mission of God. That the Father sends his Son to be the Savior of the world and the Father and Son send the Spirit to convict and apply the saving work of the Son. And that none of this is haphazard. It's all intentional. Jesus was sent to be the Savior of the world. Which means, one, we need a Savior. But we also need to be clear about what we're being saved from. Because He didn't come to save us from our poverty. He didn't come merely to save us from, you know, things that make us uncomfortable. He came to save us from our sin. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. That we would see in Him love and grace that we have never earned and do not deserve, and He gave it anyway. See, if we never admit the problem, we will miss the enjoyment of the cure. Have we? He has been sent to be the Savior of the world, which means that's whomever you are and from wherever you are and whenever you are involved in whatever you are, from whatever tribe, nation, color, tongue, if you come to Jesus Christ to save your Lord, you will be saved. He is the only hope. He is the only Savior. He is the only one. He is the only one sufficient to accomplish it, and He has. But does your testimony match the biblical witness here? Testifying that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and that that includes you. Who has captured our attention? Is it the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world? I mean, John has a lot to say here. Do we? Can we testify to the same things? Do we know that He abides in us because we know and can see and have lived the clear conviction and clarity and repentance and love and fruit that's been borne out by the Holy Spirit in our own lives? As we sit around dinner tables with our families and friends, See, so much of the amazing stories that we often share, you know, even as I think about sharing stories with my kids and talking about, you know, when I was your age and all those fun little tales that we love to tell. It's all this back then, back then. But, but you know, the significance, of th- the significance of things is found in what remains. Yeah. 
Just like Tim was pointing out a little while ago that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His faithfulness that saved me as a young boy has sustained all the way through and will continue into eternity because it had always sustained before that, leading right into that moment. You think of the wonders of, you know, marriage and you celebrate the enjoyment of newlyweds and everything else, but look at the story of faithfulness in those who have been married for decades and the testimony that that is, that the love endures. Look at the amazing story of what outlasts all the stuff that we're worried about. Do you know that you abide in the triune God and that He abides in you? Do you know with whom you remain? Because then when we start to ask that question, then we start to see the need to assess the evidence of a abiding in order that we would know assurance. Because we see in verse 15, he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So as we assess the evidence, one of the ways in which we would assess the evidence is look at the confession of your life. And again, the use of the word confession here is not merely articulating the syllables. It's throwing your full and absolute agreement with who He is and what He has done. That you're embracing all of what He has said concerning Himself, and you're aligning your identity with Him. We could think about it this way. It's like endorsing Him. Now, of course, we've heard of all manner of endorsements in the news lately. But we think about endorsements all the time. That's the way in which products are often marketed to us. That's the way in which we're about to enter the whole election cycle, and we really pretty well have, right? And so much of that is about gathering those around you who support you, who are aligned with you, and that you realize that your name is associated with the one whom you are endorsing. And so in confessing Jesus Christ and confessing who He is as the Son of God, you are aligning all of who you are with all of who He is as the eternal second person of the Trinity, the one who says, who said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father who's fully divine, who and yet who is also fully man, incarnate, sent from the Father, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the curse of the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Only He can save us. Only He can be our substitute. But who does your life confess? Who would those in your own house say that you fully support and endorse and are aligned with? Isn't it amazing that people can know us for years and they can know all the little things that we like, right? They can pick your candy off the shelf. They can know what restaurant you like and what restaurant you don't. They can know all of our opinions about all matters politically and all the different networks that you watch and the things that you don't watch and everything else. And they may be able to articulate that to the finest degree of detail. But do they know anything about your confession of Jesus? Are we out there with Him? Assess the evidence. Jesus is the Son of God. Is that our confession? Do we confess Him as He is? Because we must not approach this like it's some sort of theological golden corral. 
You know, you've been there. You take your kids there, your grandkids there, and you're walking down the aisle, and it's like, okay, look at all these vegetables here. And it's like, I'll take three pieces of fried chicken, and I want some soft serve with some gummy bears on it. And you're like, what? That's not how this works. You're going to get sick on that, and it's probably going to kill you. But that's how we often are theologically, isn't it? We sort of jump here, there, and everywhere within the Bible. It's like, well, I'll take some of this, and I'm going to, you know, I want some soft-serve Jesus. I don't want those hard truths, those things that are hard to digest. We don't get that option. We don't lord ourselves over his word or, dare we say, over him. We confess him as he is, as he has revealed himself, no matter the cost. He is the Son of God. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we must get the confession right in order to know assurance. Do you have this right? Do you know that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross and risen from the dead? That you have been saved by him and that you have received it as a free gift. And that he has taken you who were once at war with him, an enemy, and has made you a friend and a child, reconciling you to himself. You see this in the, the wonder of the fact that God abides in us. That he gives evidence in order to give us assurance. Look at how good our God is. He not only saves us like a father, he wants us to know that we're safe in him. And you think about all the reasons, and thinking about God abiding in us, you think about all the reasons in our own lives that we have given God to move out. And he hasn't, and he won't. All the ways in which we have ignored him, all the ways in which we have sought wisdom and advice from everyone else, all the ways in which we have cast aside his love, all the ways in which we have pursued the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season, all the ways in which we have tried to live that we know so much better than he does, all those moments and seasons of discontent and being unlovable and doubting his love and care and doubting his faithfulness and failing to prioritize him even in our own families, even still. If you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, He abides in you and He in God. And it's like the longer you remain, the longer you remain in Him and you see Him at work and all that, and you see Him correct you out of these prodigal seasons, and you live those moments where it's like He calls you to repentance and you just cry out, Lord, forgive me. I was wrong. And He draws you close. You have all these memories. And the longer you remain, the more memories you collect. You think about it in your own home. The longer you stay in one place, the more memories you have. You might have little marks on your wall from when your children, who are now grown, have their little height marks and the dates written on there. And you, they've, got, they've been measured out. And it's like you can walk by there and you can say, well, look at them now. That's how some of y'all are with your graduates here this morning. I remember when we brought you home from the hospital. Look at you now. 
And it's amazing to see, and it's like the more you, the longer you endure, the more memories you have. You think of the memories that we have of the Lord. Where we have cried for rescue, and He has. Where with tears streaming down our faces, we have prayed, Lord, save this family member of mine. And He has. Where you've answered the phone and you received the worst news you ever thought possible. You say, Lord, help me. And he did. For all those hours we spent looking out the windows waiting for the prodigals to come home. And one day, there they pull into the driveway. Our God is so good. And the longer you walk with him, the longer you know him, the more you just enjoy the fact that he abides in his people and his people abide in him. You have memories and you look back on the landscape of life and you see it was him who saw you through. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We've come to know both factually and personally that we are assessing what we know and trust. Factually, personally, and believe that we trust and rely upon that. To know and believe the love that God has for us. It's not secret. It's not distant. We see the ultimate demonstration of it in Romans 5.8. God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or you can even look in 1 John 4.10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that we know this and have lived in this and are trusting and relying upon it. Because many of us have lived our entire lives, we've heard people say, I love you, and we know good and well they didn't mean any of it. And maybe you've experienced such negative experience through that and such pain and anguish that you've heard people say that with their mouths and demonstrate the opposite with how they live their lives. And you start to wonder, well, is there anybody who could love me? Does anybody love me? Is it even possible? And you start to believe all the negative hype that people have thrown your way. You're so unlovable. Nobody could love you. Nobody could want you. And you start to hear these things. And it just sows deep into your, into your heart and into your mind. Listen. God loves you. Piercing right through the darkness and the anguish and the sorrow and the pain and the hurt of all of those who said that and didn't mean it. He said it. He meant it. And he lived it. And he still does. That you would know his love. His love that satisfies us and fills our hearts. That you would know his love that rescues and frees us. That you would believe and trust in he who loves. And that his love saves us. His love sanctifies us. And his love endures forever. And trust it that he loves us enough to confront us in our sin. And that his love is always sufficient. What are you sure of this morning? The love of God? I mean, we can jokingly say, you know, the only two sure things in life are death and taxes. Is that it? Is that what you're sure of? 
Is the love of God in there? Are you looking to Him? Are you trusting in Him? Look at who He is again. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Again, God is love. Again, we can... One of his communicable attributes, like we talked about last week, that he is the source of love, and it flows from him unceasingly in abundance, unceasingly with power, unceasingly with endurance, unceasing in its effect. It's like the effects of somebody when they walk in the room. You've been there. You can be in the office, right? You can be at work somewhere, and everything's fine, and then one person walks in the room, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. Maybe it's like that at home sometimes. And you can almost cut the tension with a knife, we say. But listen, when he's here, when he's in us, he leaves the effects of his presence. The effects of his love. That's why he says here, God is love. And so whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That we would assess the evidence of his influence in our own lives. Do we abide in love, loving God and loving neighbor and loving our enemies and loving our spouse, loving your wife as Christ loved the church, loving your parents, loving your children, loving your church, reconciling one to another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you? Love and kindness and love and conviction? Love is proof because it's not natural for us to love in this way. We like to love in a way that we define, but not in a way in which God works out in us. Where it's the laying down of ourself and the laying down of our lives, the self-sacrificial love is evidence that God is at work. You see, God likes to leave the evidence of His presence in the lives of His people. And when you know somebody, you can tell when they've been around, even when you don't see them. You can tell sometimes, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids. They keep leaving their clothes in the same place. You may not have seen them in the morning, but you're like, obviously they were here. Maybe you can tell, by the way, you can just walk into the bathroom and you can see the toothpaste sitting where it sits. And, you know, there's water over here and towels over here. And you're like, I don't see them, but I'm certain that they've been here. You can think about even like even nice things, right? The coffee's been made. And it's like, I may not see him, but hey, there's hot coffee brewed here. Almost like a lingering scent left in the air. How much more so with God Himself? He leaves evidence of his love all over our lives. And that every room of our lives and every place in which we find ourselves, every home in which we abide and every area in which we live, there's his love hanging in the air. Do you know him? Do you see this in your own life? Assess the evidence of his abiding to know assurance of him. And maybe you've assessed the evidence here this morning and you've looked for the confession and you've looked for his love and you've looked for what you know and what you trust and you realize, I don't have him at all. 
See, our God is so good that he would call you to himself today. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody in here has a self-righteous finger to wag in anybody's face. We all need him. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, you've got an option. You can take the wages of your own life. You can take the the payment for what you would receive from a life lived for yourself. And as we're told in Romans 6, wages for that is death. Death now, death forever. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you willing here today to repent of your sin, to finally let go of all this stuff that you're trying to build a life upon? All this mess in which you're trying to find assurance in yourself, knowing good and well that you can't? It's like every time you look in the mirror, every time you come to the end of the day, you realize, I'm not sure of my, I don't know where this is going, I don't know how this is going to end. Come to Jesus here today. Confess and believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that includes you, that Jesus is the Son of God sent to redeem you. Come and believe He died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead, and that there's forgiveness and everlasting life in His name. And that love that you will experience in the moment of your conversion when you turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus, that love abides forever. God is calling us to know God is calling us to assurance today. The question remains, in whom are you sure? May our response now indicate the one whom we love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're so good. God, we ask that in this moment, for clear conviction. Father, we pray for the person who has never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, Father, that the clear conviction would be to repent and believe. And that they would know forgiveness and everlasting life. Father, that your Spirit would call them right now. That is our plea and our prayer. That they would know your love that went through the cross, out of the empty tomb, into heaven, and endures forever. Father, we pray right now for clarity as well for all of us who have tried to find assurance in all the wrong things. Father, lead us to rest all of our hope of assurance in you, in knowing you, in trusting you, to bear forth the evidence of your work in our own lives. Father, we ask for you to do the miraculous in our hearts right now because that's what you do. Father, we pray that we would come away from this moment having known your love. Apply it now to our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.